There's a phrase that I hope that you can hear clearly over and over again and deeply, and it's this. The Lord is my father. Actually, say that with me, please. The Lord is my father. Not only is that what this text is about, it's about what today, it's about what this tent, it's about what all humanity, this entire human experiment is simply about that, generating more and more people to see themselves as children of God. The Lord is my father. The text we're looking at today is Luke chapter 1. I'd like to work through the text and actually give you a three for one. We're in Black Friday season, so everybody's saving and getting clearance on everything. I want to give you a three for one. My intention is to deliver essentially three mini lectures within 20 minutes. I have my watch, I have my notes, and we've already started a bit late, so I promise I'm going to get you out on time, amen? Three mini lectures. The term lecture, for some folks, it means that someone is behind a lectern delivering information. That's my intention for the first two. But what's the other side of the word lecture? It's when someone's pointing a finger and going in on you. John the Baptist did that kind of thing. So we're going to see a sense of that a bit later. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It starts this way. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. You say that name with me, Abijah? That means the Lord is my father. The division under which Zechariah served meant exactly that. The Lord is my father. So it's not me bringing it to the text. It's already there. Today, this tent, all of humanity is about that idea. The Lord being our father. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Her name in Hebrew, Elisheva, means my God promises, or he swears. Faithfulness, right here in the text. Verse 6, it says, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. The idea of people being blameless and righteous to a Christian sounds odd, right? In Romans, the whole idea of that is that none are righteous, none are blameless, and so we need Jesus. So how would Luke write at the beginning of his text and at the end about Joseph of Arimathea that they were righteous, that they were blameless? Well, in the Jewish mind, a person that keeps Sabbath, a person that regularly keeps festivals and does what they can to know God as Father is seen as righteous. So we happen upon this couple who was exactly that way, Zechariah and Elizabeth. In verse 7, though, it says this, But, however, they had no child. Why is that relevant to the text? It's relevant for a number of reasons. Among them is this. Looking back at the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, there were several women who were barren in their womb. And the men that they bore, more often men than not, I didn't write the text, we're just reading it here. I get it as 2022, but that's what happened. Often, men that were born to women who were barren did amazing things. Let me read a bit of a list. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, remember him? Samson, Samuel. These men that did amazing things for God's kingdom, the patriarchs, were born from barren wombs. So essentially, them being barren is a clue that perhaps this boy that they're to bear, John by name, will do amazing things for God's kingdom, perhaps. In verse 8, it says this, While he, that's Zechariah, was serving as a priest before God, while his division was on duty, he was chosen. In verse 10, it says, The whole multitude of people were praying outside. In verse 11, it says, There appeared to him an angel. 
Because this man, Zechariah, was on post doing what God called, and because the community of the faithful were surrounding him, it resulted in a visit from God. Let me say that again. Because this man in particular was doing what God asked, and he was surrounded by God's people, it resulted in a fantastic thing happening. He was focused and in fellowship, so the fantastic resulted. That's the same today. If you're focused on what God calls and we surround each other in fellowship and prayer, the fantastic can happen at any time. It happened with Zechariah and it can happen in 2022. There appeared to him an angel and the text says, at least in the English Standard Version, that he was troubled. Troubled. It's the same term used for Herod back in Matthew about the same text. It's the same term used a chapter later with Mary when an angel comes to her. Raise your hand. Have any of you ever been visited while you were sober? Have any of you ever been visited by an angel in daylight hours? So it's a rare thing, I take it. He was troubled. Mary was troubled. Herod was troubled as well. Why, though, was Herod not only troubled, but furious? Because this baby would cost Herod a lot. Why was Zechariah and Mary troubled and afraid? Because angels ain't no joke. Maybe they're huge, maybe they're bright, another light shining in the darkness. For whatever reason, they were troubled and they were afraid. Verse 13, the Bible says this. But the angel said, as he almost always does, this one named Gabriel, do not be afraid, Zechariah. A student of mine, I substitute sometimes in local high schools, Tampa Bay Tech, that's where Margaret teaches and she's not here. Apparently, I thought you looked just like her for a second. Hope that's a compliment, Summer. A student reminded me of the fact that in certain versions, it appears 365 times this refrain, did not be afraid. I didn't know that. A student taught me that. There's a tidbit for you. 365 times, one for every day, the text says, do not be afraid. So there's that. It was said here by Gabriel to Zechariah. A bit later, the prediction happens about why the angel is visiting Zechariah. Clearly, it doesn't happen often. You will have joy and gladness. Elizabeth will bear you a son, and he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He must be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. We've already learned this morning the importance of power. Amen? Being without it for a moment technologically sometimes can ransack things, but if God is in control, not a beat is skipped. Amen. This young man, though, will be in the power and the spirit of Elijah. Would anyone be willing to share with us something about this character Elijah in the Old Testament? Does anyone remember him? Anything he did or he said? You're shaking your head. Tell us something about Elijah. Good. Whisked away in a fiery chair. Do you guys remember that? One of two people in the biblical text, Enoch being the other, that didn't die a natural death. Elijah was no joke. He was a big dog. In the book of James, it says he prayed for rain and then he prayed for not and God heard him. Joshua had the sun stop in the middle of the day, but Elijah was able to call the weather patterns. That's deep. This guy, Elijah, and this guy, John the Baptist, would be in the same accord, like you said, of being against the prophets that were speaking against God. He would be a demonstration of God's power and a clarion call to what God wanted. In verse 17, 
it says that his primary role would be to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John the Baptist's role, that's Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, would make a people ready for the Lord, a people prepared. How did he do that? Did he open a school, a bar mitzvah, a Beit Midrash, as in there they, they would have understood to study the Old Testament? Did he start an apprenticeship? No. He preached the word. He baptized people. He dressed and yelled like a crazy person. Have any of you seen the episodes of The Chosen? That show that depicts, it's awesome, isn't it? The Chosen depicts the stories of Jesus and the apostles. And they've characterized him well. He's very thin because he ate, it says, locusts and honey. He's dressed raggedly, but he preaches and spits and shouts all in crazy tones. Because God has sent him to do one thing, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So he doesn't show up in suits. He doesn't show up manicured. He shows up wild. Elijah was wild. John the Baptist is wild. And how does he make a people prepared? We'll get into that in the second part of our lecture. Please be seated. So that serves two functions. One, the human brain does not ingest information in 20, 30, or 40 minute increments. It does so from six to 10 on average. So there was your break from lecture one. <laughs> part two, Luke chapter one, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this? Remember, the angel just told this very old man and this quite aged woman, in the text, it says that he is old and she's advanced. So they give a little deference there, being gentle with the madam. This advanced and wise couple is to have a child. Zechariah has a hard time believing this. In verse 19, it says, good news was brought to him. But in verse 20, you will be silent and unable to speak because you did not believe my words. My daughter, Aviel, when we went through this passage a couple of days ago, asked the question, what is it about his silence that resulted from him not believing the angel? Is that a cause? Is there a correlation between those two? No one has an answer to that question. However, it seems that because he thought the angel was suspect, it resulted in his silence. Because he did not give air to his words, he would no longer be able to give air of his own. So for that reason, perhaps, this man was silenced for months. In verse 21, it says this, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and when he came out, he was unable to speak because he had seen a vision. He had seen a vision. There's a phrase said by those that have served in really hot, deployed areas that those who know don't speak, and those who speak don't know. Often that has to do with young military guys that are so excited about being in the military, they wear their uniform everywhere, and they tell everybody they're probably fake stories. But the older gentlemen of, say, the Second World War, First World War, or even Nam, probably went through things that were a lot more close to heart. Many of them do not speak of such because it's so buried, it's so deep, it's so dark. And the theme of it being light in the darkness, it's rare for older gentlemen to speak of things that are deeply seated. Mary, it says, treasured this narrative in her heart, and in his instance of seeing an angel, they assumed that he had seen a vision, and for that reason, he was unable to speak. The text ends in verse 24 and 25 and says this, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. Verse 25, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among my people. To take away my reproach. Another version says disgrace. A third version says shame. She was excited, gladdened about the fact that she finally bore a child. For those of you who have not yet, and may be waiting for the same, 
Perhaps in your community with your girlfriends, there's some reproach, shame, or disgrace. Perhaps. In this instance, why is it such a big deal that she bear children? The first blessing that God gave to people, the same with animals, was this. And in English, that translates as be fruitful and multiply. Some will say that's the first command to humanity. Jews say that's the first blessing. Either way, one of the first things God said to people is go and bear children. Increase, be voluminous. Remember, this whole thing is about the Lord is my father. He wants animals to know that. He wants people to know that. The entirety of creation bears witness to that phrase. The Lord is my father. She wanted to play a role in that, as do many mothers, as do many women. So she considered not having children reproach, disgrace, and shame. In the third part of our setting here, we'll see how it is that John the Baptist went about helping these people relegate their reproach, their shame, their disgrace. And now we may do the same. Please stand with me. We're entering part three of the lecture. And the word seminary, do we know why it's called seminary? See the looks on our faces? Nobody told us. So seminary is a school where lots of ministers go to for about three to four years to do studying and pastoral work, to be all the more Christian for the ministry, perhaps. Some schools do a better job than others. Some of us more talented than others. Who knows the result? But a lot of us go to seminary. Yeshiva is a term that Jewish people use for their formation schooling to become rabbis. In that instance, yeshiva comes from a Hebrew word that means to sit. So, so far I wanted to teach while sitting the posture that Jesus took. It says that in Luke, he sat and taught the people. But for what John the Baptist did, I want you to hear it as he would have delivered. Please be seated. So, so far we talked about the mother and father of this man, this prophet, who's to be making a prepared people for the Lord. John the Baptist was no joke. He was to come in the power of Elijah. And we remember that he challenged these prophets in the valley of Jezreel and did something miraculous in that day. Elijah and Elisha are the two persons that Jesus patterns after with all his miracles to make clear to people not only that God is father, but he is king and powerful. This man, John the Baptist, did things that were amazing, but only by word. He convinced people to prevent and to repent what they did so that God could have space among them. It's just like that then as it is now. We each have reasons to repent in elementary school, in middle school, in latter years, in every arena, we've reasons to repent, all of us. John the Baptist, I get it, Christmas time often comes across as this cute, little, fluffy, baby, cozy thing, but that was not the kind of man John the Baptist was. He grew up, any of you seen the movie Talladega Nights? When they're talking about six pound, eight pounds, baby Jesus, the father of her says he grew up he had a beard. John the Baptist as a man was full of flame, fervor, and fire. And what he preached to people had everything to do with pointing to Jesus. In iconography, that's the pictures that are painted about Christian stuff through history. John the Baptist is always pictured as pointing to Jesus. Just like this drew your attention. Thank you so much, Sean. John the Baptist's role was to draw attention to Jesus. So he's always pointing at him. So I want in the sense that he delivered it, and with the text that he delivered it, to give homage to John as a man. In John, in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, I want you to hear some of the things that he preached to them. 
Remember, the intention of John the Baptist was to prepare a people for the Lord. He didn't prepare them with nice, glad tidings of the season. He prepared them to repent. These are the things he said in chapter 3. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I would say in our day, he would say, do not say, yeah, I've been baptized. Yeah, I've been attending church for years. Yeah, I've completed seminary. Yeah, I'm in the ministry. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That, just like the head of this camel figure here, stands out to the people of that day, and it should stand out to us. We've all had things for which to repent. Let me give you three examples. In verse 10, in Luke chapter 3, this is John the Baptist going into them in the power of Elijah, preparing a people for Jesus. One example he gives to the crowd and says, if you have two tunics, share one with one who has none. If you have food, do likewise. How are we doing with sharing our clothing and food? Simple question, simple practical. How are you doing with sharing your clothing and your food? That's one of the ways that John the Baptist prepared people for Jesus. In verse 12, the tax collectors came to him also and they said, what do we do? He said, collect no more than you are authorized. Have you ever heard people say that when we die, God will have a singular question for us after death? Some people assume that question is, what did you do with Jesus? Well, clearly most Jewish people don't think that's the question. The question that Jewish people said that are asked is this, were you ethical in your business transactions? It's an interesting question. In their day, as in this day, that's a Jewish principle of how we reflect God's kingship. Were we ethical in our business transactions? So he says to the tax collectors, collect no more than you are authorized. And to the soldiers, do not extort money. Be content with your wages. Every one of us, and my kids remind me of this, every meal, every store trip, contentment is a hard goal. We all want more. And even in our society where we have tons, we still want more. It was no different for them in their day. But in preparedness for Jesus, contentment demonstrates what it looks like to be prepared. There's a number of other instances in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus shares with them what it means to be prepared. In Ephesians 5, though, it says this, and we'll close with this text. I began by saying a phrase to you that I hope rings in your ears and is deep in your hearts. The Lord is my Father. The Lord is my Father. In Ephesians 5, it says this, written by Paul. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. John the Baptist's hope was to prepare them to be beloved. Jesus' intention for was for them to see themselves in us as a result of God's favor, of God's love. The entirety of light and darkness is that. The darkness in the streets where you might get stabbed, shot, cut up, who knows what. Our light is the answer to that. Our preparedness before God is the response to that. Our love, our sharing with our neighbor, our clothing, our food is two examples, is the answer to that. The darkness of streets is answered by us. As the Lord is our Father, we as His children are to be lights in darkness.